Does anyone else think that our media team should make that into a full-length feature? <laughs> it's like, what happens next? Does the little boy, is he finding his parents? What's going on? And so um, maybe we'll do like a uh, crowdsourcing thing where we try to get that thing in full production, children's books. Um, and a guy in my role, or isn't there such thing as an executive producer? Is there like something like you don't, you don't do anything, but you get credit? That's kind of... <laughs> It's kind of what I would love to do if you're thinking about me, if you're the one going to cre create that. Um, this, this, this is going to start off bad. What I'm about to tell you is going to sound really, really arrogant. So um, here it comes. When it comes to starting something in life, I'm amazing at that. So if you're looking to start something new in your life, you've got some new good intentions for your life, you've got a couple of goals, I'm your guy. I want to tell you just a few things that I'm really awesome at starting. I'm really awesome at starting a diet amazing. Like, I know how to Google those things. I know how to sort through the fake with the real stuff. And I know how to, at that very first lunch, like, it's, like, right, like, day one of the diet. Anybody else ever killed a diet day one? Like, you dominated the diet? Anybody else got a day one? Day one. So I'm going to the restaurant. You know, some of you guys are taking me out to the place. I'm like, oh, there's a big steak, but uh, the diet says I should get the small steak or no steak. Um, I'll, I'll order, I'm tempted to get a soda that day, that first meal, but I'll, I will get the water that first day. I'll order something green? Anybody else? Like you ever been on that day one diet? I know some of you are like, we order green only all the time, Ben. I don't know how you do that. Um, but I am gold when it comes to starting a diet. It's awesome. I'm gold when it comes to starting an exercise plan. In fact, like this is going to sound even more arrogant, but I know how to join a gym better than you do. Like, I know what's out there. I know when to join the gym. I know how to get that first test done so they can tell me, Mr. Pilgrim, there's really not that much wrong with you. You're, no. Um, I, I'm so good, though, at joining the gym. Like, I'm, I know how to get the right weightlifting gloves. Anybody else? Like, I'm so good at picking out the right apparel. I got a dry fit shirt on because I don't want to sweat through the whole thing. And so, you know, I've got the wind pants. I can pick out sneakers with the best of them. I'm just awesome when it comes to joining a gym. Anybody else? I'm such a good starter. Um, but maybe I was the best at this when it came to starting semesters in college. Anyone else? Like the beginning of the semester, we killed it, right? I had the syllabus. I sat up front. I bought all the textbooks, even if the other people were saying, like, you don't really need it for this course. No, I'm buying it, and we're going all in, and I am ready for the semester, and I'm sitting up front, and I am enthused. Like, I don't care what's been true the last six semesters, the seventh semester, I'm going to be different, then about a month or two in, I'm wondering, can I still drop this course and keep my financial aid? Anybody? Because <laughs> those kind of things, like, oh. All right, so I have to pay this money back now or get a, uh, uh, what do I do? But you guys know what I do for a living, so you would be probably um, expecting me to say, like, the very best thing I've been at starting over the last 20 years of my life uh, is a Bible reading plan. Like, I have just dominated Genesis. Anybody else? <laughs> like, I am so good. And that's not a small feat. There are 50 chapters in Genesis. I've gotten through this thing so many times, but I've got to be honest. Leviticus? Yeah, that's weird. I'm like, I just can't, right? Now, some of you are like, oh, man, we've got a pastor who's never read beyond Genesis. So. <laughs> I did finish a couple of times, all right? But I have been notorious, as I'm guessing many of you, like, no, when it comes to starting something, look to me, okay? I know how to set goals. I know how to, how to get out of the blocks, right? Um, but I'm not a great finisher. So something happens usually along the way for me. I'm really enthusiastic when something begins, but, but something, and, and I, I can always justify it, right? 
Like, oh, I could give myself to health and exercise if I didn't have so many church people, so many problems needing all my time, God. Like, I could, I could do some of those things. But, but what happens typically for me is my passion for something goes from really hot to really cold over time. Um, or my attention just sort of wanes. Like, I get bored real easily, real easily. Um, and some of you, I can tell you're already there. Uh, I, I get bored real easily, but usually what it is, something just gets too difficult for me to stay in it, and I bail out. And I've got all kinds of reasons why I do that, right? Um, I'm good at starting something, but I've, I've shown myself to be really good at quitting things, too, over time. And, and here's the thing. When it comes to our relationship with Jesus, for those of us who would call ourselves Christians, and, and I know that's a number, of, a number of you are excluded with that, but hang tight. I've got something for you today, and I, I love the fact that you um, find the people in the community here at Epic uh, at least warm and inviting, and you're willing to explore your faith. So, you know, I'm thrilled that you're here, and uh, some of my very best friends in our church are non-Christians, which is, which is an interesting dynamic, but something I'm grateful for. Um, not that they're non-Christians, but just that I'm friends with them. Um, <laughs> but we can remember many of us a time in our lives when our commitment to Jesus was really high. We were engaging the scriptures in a consistent way. We were praying daily or at least fairly often. And, and, and we sensed God's presence among us. And, and, and we were making decisions in our, in, our, in our lives where it's like, you know what? Um, I, I want his way over my way. But then for many of us, for most of us, I would say something happens along the way. Maybe there's one bad decision that goes against what God wants, and that one bad decision leads to um, a, a number of bad decisions, which leads to a habit or a pattern that comes up in our lives. For some of us, it's even led to an addiction, and we bail out on our faith in that way. Some of us got too emotionally involved with someone in a relationship that we never should have entered into, at least not in that kind of close, intimate way, and, and it, it, it kind of derailed our faith, if we're honest. And then for many, many of us in here, it just became too hard to keep trying to live for God right? Something didn't go our way. We didn't know if he was trustworthy any longer. We didn't, we didn't know if he would be able to bail us out. We didn't know if we could continue to have faith when we looked at the circumstantial evidence of our lives. And if you're like me, and I think many of us are in this boat this morning, here's a couple of questions I think that we probably have. Can our faith in God ever be completely what it should be? Like, can our faith, can your faith, can my faith in God, will it ever get to a point where it's like we feel good about it and God feels good about it? And if it can, what do we need to do to make it happen? So can, can our faith ever be complete? Will we ever get to this place like, hey, we have arrived, we're in the right zone, and, and if so, what is our part in that? If you have a Bible, I'm going to look at Philippians chapter 1 this morning. If you need a Bible, raise your hand, we'll get one into your hands Philippians chapter 1, and we'll get there in just a bit. It's on page 636 in the Bibles that are being handed or gifted out now. Philippians chapter 1, I believe when it comes to these two questions, will our faith ever be complete? And what is uh, our part? What do we need to do to make that happen? I believe the scriptures teach this throughout, especially in the New Testament. We see the things that we um, uh, can expect for God to do, what we should be doing, how it all kind of goes. But this text in Philippians is, is poignant to me, and I, and I hope that you see why in a little bit. Before we get into the reading, I want to make sure we understand like what's going on. Who's, Paul is the writer to the church at Philippi. This is the letter to the Philippians. And here's kind of how the whole thing got started. Around uh, the 50s, early 50s, right around 50, not, not the 1950s, okay, like 50. Um, around 50 AD, Paul did what he was doing all over the place. Remember, we say around here that we think Paul had uh, as much responsibility for spreading the mission of Jesus in the world, second only to who? Thank you. All right. 
Trying to start soft with you. I'm going to go a little harder, a little deeper. Um, but Paul, we'd go to new places. And so around 50 AD, he goes to the city of Philippi, and he meets some people there. He's always going in, trying to engage, like, what's the scene like? What's the receptivity like? And he, and he meets a group of people who believed in, the, in, in Yahweh, the God of the Jews. And, and, and Paul meets this woman named Lydia, and, and she's likely the first convert to Christianity. She had a heart open to the Lord. She had already been following God. And now Paul is saying, hey, here's what God has done. He sent Jesus. Lydia gives her life to Jesus. She's baptized. She's an affluent woman. An affluent woman. She, uh, she's, she's known as a seller basically of purple goods or purple linen. And that's what she did for a living. And she used the space that God had given her in her home to allow the church to be birthed right there in her home. So pretty neat woman. You can see this story played out in Acts chapter 16. So this church gets started in Philippi, and now Paul is writing this letter to the Philippians. It's now about 62 AD. So 10 to 12 years have passed since the church got off the ground and got birthed. And Paul has visited a couple of times, a few times maybe even, this church in Philippi. But right now, as he's writing this, Paul is sitting in a jail cell. Paul is in prison, most likely in Rome, and he's writing this letter back to the church at Philippi. And what's amazing to me is that encouragement is the theme of the letter. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a little more into a self-pity party if I'm in prison. Anybody else? Like, I don't think that's the first word on my tongue or in my mind. Like, oh, yeah, let me encourage you guys. I'm in this, of course, you know, if, if you're in a prison cell, I guess you don't have a whole lot of other things to do besides write letters and pray. And so he does both of these things for the Philippian church. But here's what he's doing. He's looking back. It's really cool for us. We're a new church here. You guys know we're a little over four years old as a church community. And, and, and as we look back and think about the beginning, that's what Paul's doing. He's looking back and going, hey, I remember. I remember. And I'd love for us to stand and read this together. Philippians 1, verses 3 through 11. You're like, what happened with verses 1 and 2? Nothing wrong with verses 1 and 2. What Paul does in the first two verses is he gives his standard or his customary greeting that he would give to any church. Essentially, here's who's writing this. Here's what's going on. Grace and peace is, is kind of the standard way he would introduce a letter. And then he gets to the heart of the letter. And it's always interesting to me to know that the scriptures are so informative, but I think it's really important to notice what's burning on someone's heart is what comes out in their first words. Does that make sense? Right? So it's like, he's just going to go ahead and like, hey, here's what's burning in my heart. And I love what he says to the church as he looks back at this church. He says this, he's saying to the Philippians, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He's just remembering fondly how this whole thing started. Verse six, and I am sure of this, confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. You may be seated. I love how this letter begins. Paul is just looking back and he's like, I'm so grateful. Every time you guys come to my mind, I just give God thanks. I just say, God, thank you for how you did this thing in the beginning, and thank you for how you've carried it up to this point, and God, thank you for what you do. I thank my God every time I remember you. Every time I remember, I, I, and you can imagine with some things that come to Paul's mind, 
He's probably thinking, as I like to think in our church over the years, he's thinking like, I remember when certain men and certain women and certain teenagers and certain boys and girls gave their life to Jesus. I remember what they were into when I met them. And I remember the moment where after talking with them for weeks and praying with them and befriending them and telling them the gospel message of Jesus, I can remember when their life turned from one thing to something else. I remember that transformation. I remember how this thing began to grow and how they began to reach their neighbors. And that's what I love to do here. When I look in so many of your faces, I'm just remembering how you came to know the Lord, or I'm remembering how you came back to the Lord. I'm remembering how you've grown over these few years. And when our staff sits down, and when Sean and I sit down, and we talk about all the things God's done over our church, what we're so grateful for is what he has done in the lives of the people here. So grateful. In fact, just to give you a little report from last week, on Easter Sunday, 840 people attended Epic Services. It was incredible. Yeah. It was a great day. Out of that number, it's always interesting, sort of the ratio in terms of in the city and downtown proper. Um, 83 of those were kids, 757 adults, which is awesome. But here's the very best part. Unprecedented in our five, our four years. So 200 Sundays, over 200 Sundays we've been here. Um, 12 people last Sunday made first time decisions to follow Jesus. And, and so their, their journey is just beginning, and this is what Paul's looking back on. He's like, I remember that time. I remember that story. I remember that life that was transformed. He remembers baptizing these people. And he's so fondly remembering. He's like, hey, before we get into all the things I want you to know, before we get into all the things I want you to do, I just want you to know when I think about you, I give thanks to God. I love what God's done among us. And then he gets into verse 4, and he's like, in all of my prayers for you, in every prayer of mine for you all, and he's praying, he says, with joy. And what I want to do in this text is really answer four questions. If we're going to progress in our faith, if we're going to see the faith that God began in us come to its completion at some point, here are the four questions. What is the role of prayer? Who is it that's doing the work? What does progress look like? And what is our part? So what's the role of prayer? Who is it that's doing the work? What does progress look like? And what is our part? In the role of prayer, right off the bat, this is what Paul starts with. He's like, I thank my God for you. That's where his prayer begins. God, thank you for these Philippians. Always in every prayer of mine, he's praying for them constantly. I pray for you with joy. Why is the role of prayer so important for Paul? Because he knows that no matter how gifted he is and no matter how awesome the Philippians are, he cannot do for the Philippians what God only can do for the Philippians. And the Philippians cannot do for themselves what God only can do for them. Have you ever had people in your life and you wish you could just speak some sense into them? Anyone? Any, don't point. Like, that's terrible. Like, bad. <laughs> but seriously, some of us have parents right now. And in, and in your relationship with your parents, you see them. You're the child, so it makes it a little bit weird. But you see them making decisions that are going to be train wreck decisions. And you, you think you, yelling at them through the phone will make it more important to them, Right? So you're like, no, you didn't hear me, mom, right? And, and we would love to just speak some sense into people. Our parents, some of you moms and dads would love to just get a hold of the, 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 your child's attention, whether they're six years old or they're 16 or they're 36 years old, and it seems like they're just not getting it. And what we would love to do is go, no, 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 you don't understand. Listen to me, moms and dads, sons and daughters, 
friends and spouses, we cannot do in people's hearts and minds what only God can do. And so Paul's going, no, God's got to do this. I'm praying with you, not just because I'm not there. Even if I was there, I would be praying for God to do something because though I would try to lead you well, I cannot do in a heart what God can do in a heart. And some of us are trying to yell louder And some of us are trying to come up with logical debates with people in our lives. And those things aren't terrible, but some of us leave it right there. What if our first response for the situations we wish were different, for the people's lives we wish were being lived differently, what if our first response was Paul's first response? God, I'm thankful for these people. Now, would you work in their lives? God, would you do something that I can't do? God, it seems like they are going to um, end up regretting many of the things they're doing now in their lives. Would you intervene? Would you do what only you can do? And Paul says that, he makes that prayer. And then in verse five, he gets this idea that I love of partnership. He says to the Philippians, the reason I'm praying for you, the reason I'm thankful for you is because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I love that word partnership. Here's what he's saying. You guys weren't simply spectators when God was doing something among us. And some of you this morning, you've been spectating for two years. It's time to jump in and partner. Some of you are just getting your feet wet, coming to know what God's up to in this church community, what we're all about for the last couple of months. And it's time for you to step across from the spectator line into the partnership zone. What does partnership mean? It just means we come together to see God's mission accomplished in our church and in our city and in our world. And here's the message. He says, he says, you guys were partners, you were partners with me in what? The God. Come on. Because some of us are like, Ben, I'll partner with you. What are we doing? No, this is, a, this is a different kind of partnership. This is partnering for the sake of the gospel. And the gospel message is the message that is our foundation and is our everything as Christians. It's this message that God sent Jesus into the world to redeem sinners. He did this by dying on the cross for us so that our sins might be forgiven and that we might be reconciled back to God where we belong. He did this at great expense to himself so that in and on the cross, he's taking our sin The exchange is we get his righteousness and that we get reconciled as sons and daughters of God Almighty. Not a bad exchange. That's the gospel message. And here's what the gospel message does. It moves from one thing to another thing to another thing. And we've got to make sure we get all the implications of it. So does the gospel have an implication for us as individuals? Absolutely. Is it a personal thing? Absolutely. I cannot have faith for you to become a Christian. Right? I can believe, I can pray, I can ask God to do some work in your heart, but you have to make that, it it is an individual thing that God does in an individual's heart, but while it has implications for the individual, it never stays with the individual. It moves from having individual implications to having communal implications. So yes, Jesus died for me, but Jesus also died for us and called us into something together, which is the body of Christ, which is the family of God expressed in two ways, locally here as the epic church community and universally as the body of Christ. So he did something that means a lot for us individually, and he did something that means a lot for us communally, but it doesn't stop with the community. Otherwise, we could just hang out and never do a serve the city day and not make room for other people and not go out and be different when we, when we hang out with coworkers, whatever the case may be. No, it has individual implications, but it moves from the individual to this community, but it also moves from this community to missional implications, okay? The message of Jesus, what Paul knows and what he gave his life to is if this was true for him, then it was true for everyone else to become a, a community, a, belong to the body of Christ. And if it's true for the body of Christ, then he wants it to be true for the entire world. It moves from the individual to the community to the entire world. And if that progress isn't happening, we need to ask why not? 
Some of us have what we call a private faith. And listen, is it personal? Yes. But it's not meant to be private. It must move from the individual to partnering with the community and partnering for the sake of the mission. Does that make sense? That's what Jesus has called us into here. We're not here just to hang out and hear a message and sing a few songs. We're here to engage in the communal life of Jesus. And then we're here to engage in the mission of expanding the gospel outward into the entire world. And that's what he's after. And then Paul gets to what I think is our key verse in verse 6. Verse 6, really, like this is the big idea verse of the text. And he says this, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Your translation may have Paul saying, I'm confident of this. And same idea. He's like, I am certain that the God who began something in you is going to complete that same thing in you. I, I am confident. Now, I'm not always that confident in this process. Anybody else? And you know why I typically lack confidence in this idea? Is because I'm not sure that I can pull it off. And I should lack confidence in that. The task is too big. Me becoming like Jesus, I don't know. You becoming like Jesus in your own power and strength, I don't know. Here, here's the thing about our church community. Many of you are just well-accomplished, high-achievement-oriented, and that's great. And so here's what happens. When it comes to an idea and business, you already have what it takes. And so you're like, hey, I've got this. When it comes to technology, some of you, I don't even, like, I just need a word processor, but you guys have other stuff. I, I don't even know what it is. Um, you can go kill those ideas. Like, you're in a good way. And so what many of us do, especially in this culture in San Francisco, we're so well accomplished that when it comes to working out our faith, we think it's all on us again. And when you're doing great and you seem to have all the things happening going your way, you're like, I can do this. But I've lived long enough, and most of you have lived long enough to know that you can't pull this thing off yourself. So here's what Paul says. Hey, I'm not confident that I can pull it off. I'm not confident that you can pull it off, but I'm incredibly confident that God can pull it out. God can make it happen. So here's what he says. I'm confident of this. I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. So here's what he's saying. The one who brought salvation into your lives, right? By grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus alone, we become sons and daughters of God. God works in our lives long before that moment, I believe. In fact, I believe uh, he's been doing so for an eternity. But, but at that moment, we wake up, we place faith in Jesus, salvation happens. And then Paul says he's going to complete it on the day of Jesus, meaning when Jesus returns, if we're still alive on this earth, or when we go to be with Jesus, okay? So we have this starting moment, salvation. We have this completion thing. But does anybody like me need to know what's happening in between? What's the point of the in-between? What's supposed to happen between what God began and what he's going to end one day? Here it is. Progress. Progress. That's what he's after. You're like, what do you mean? Well, look at verse 25 of Philippians 1. Paul's writing to encourage the Philippians. He is, in this text, when you get to like verse 19 and on, he's talking to them about like, hey, I don't know how long I'm going to be alive for me to live as Christ, to die as gain. Like some of us have that on a coffee mug. Anybody? It wasn't a coffee mug for Paul. He really thought he might die, okay? He's not talking about dying to himself. He's talking about death. And he's trying to think through this, and he's processing out loud, writing, and he's, and he's, uh, he's like, listen, I don't know if I'm going to continue on in my body or if I'm going to go be with Jesus. But then he's like, no, you guys need so much help. God's going to keep me here. Look what he says in verse 25. Convinced of this, convinced that God's going to allow him to live for a little while longer. I love the thought on that. Are you glad if you're the Philippians? Like, wait, 
Paul's only alive because of us? Like, we still have some issues. Yep. He said this, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your what? For your progress. For your progress. The point is, God begins something in us. He's going to bring it about to completion. And the in-between is, he wants to see us making progress. What does that progress look like? The Bible word for this is sanctification. What does sanctification mean, Ben? I didn't use that over the weekend. Sanctification means this process by which you and I become more and more and more like Jesus. I think the best way to talk about what that looks like is is from a statement John the Baptist made. It's John chapter 3, and and John the Baptist was the forerunner to Jesus. And maybe you know that, but his, his deal was to be the prophet just preparing the way for the Messiah. And the reason it was super important, the role that he played, is remember, there had been 400 years of silence. No prophet from God since Malachi. So 400 years of silence. And John the Baptist comes onto the, onto the scene, and he's just saying, hey, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. He eats strange things. He dresses in ways that would fit in in San Francisco, but nowhere else. And... and uh, <laughs> And he's, say, he's baptizing people for forgiveness of sins, not, not in him, but in God, okay? So it's not, there's no competition thing going on. But some of John's disciples begin to think it's a competition. Here's what they say to him. They're like, hey, John, um, look over there at Jesus. He's baptizing more people than you are. Now, I would have got a game plan, right? Anybody else? I'll show him, right? But John, he understands what's going on. He's like, no, no, that's, that's the point. Here's what he says, though. And this is kind of the idea of progress and the idea of sanctification in our lives. Simple statement, packed with truth. He said this about Jesus. John the Baptist said, he must increase, but I must decrease. What does sanctification look like? More Jesus, less Ben. Now, somebody might say, well, wait a minute. I, I, need, I need to not be my true self. No, but God would say, you and I are our truest selves when there's more Jesus. That's the intention. That is the truest identity about you, and it's the truest identity about me, who I am as a son of God, who you are as a daughter of God. That is what's truest about you, and so he must increase and I must decrease. I want more of his will than I used to. I want more of his ways. I want more of what he wants to do with my money, how he wants me to interact in relationships, how he wants me to lead my business, how he wants me to be a part of this church community. I want to do it his way, and if that progress isn't happening, then there's something amiss. But for me, there's days where I'm like, there's no progress at all. Anybody else? Please tell me someone else feels that occasionally. Like, not only is there no progress, sometimes it feels like regression. I'm going the other way, and he's just like, that's not the intent. Now, here's what gets difficult. You and I cannot command how and when our progress happens and what it looks like. Like, like we don't get to, get to say that. Here's a good example. I was having a conversation with my 11-year-old yesterday. He had a little league game. I'm one of the coaches for his team, and we're talking about just like how how kids grow, how he's going to grow, what like what what what's in his genes from his mother and I, and and uh, and I was letting him know that like, hey, you have some impact on the size that you are, but not not too much, right? Um, we have a 12-year-old on our team who's 5'8 with a full mustache. <laughs> yes, he started pitching the game yesterday. But Elijah can eat anything he wants, and he's not going to be 5'8 tomorrow. Does that make sense? And, and, and he, he can, he can do, do anything else he wants, and he's not going to have a mustache tomorrow. In fact, his dad turned 38 yesterday and still can't do a beard. <laughs> like, ben, why don't you do facial hair? Um, it's not me, you know? <laughs> That's a God thing. Like, right? But does that make sense? There are some things he can do. 
to cause him to grow in certain ways. But he has limited, he has limited input on that. You and I have limited input on how we grow as Christians. But we can do some things to put ourselves in a place of humility, place of surrender, place of submission, and see what God might want to do in his way and according to his own perfect time. And God's going to grow some of us in this community in ways that others of us aren't going to grow. And God's going to at times seem more present in some of our lives than he's going to be in others of our lives. But what happens for some of us, God wants to do something and we are absent from what he wants to do because we have not submitted to his ways. We continue to demand our ways. We continue to say, no, Jesus, I'll come this far, but I'm not going over this line. C.S. Lewis, when asked about how can you promote the presence of God being active in your life, he said, I have no idea how to do that. But he said, I know full well how to promote the absence of God in my life. And remember, he was writing in a different place. and He was writing at a different time. But here's what he said. And I can email you this later or whatever. But he, he said, here's one way to make sure God's absence is present in your life. All right. He says, avoid silence. Avoid solitude. Avoid any train of thought that leads off the beaten track. Concentrate on money, sex, status, health, and above all, your own grievances. Remember, a different time. He says, keep the radio on, live in a crowd, use plenty of sedation. If you must read books, select them carefully, but you'd be safer to stick to the papers. You'll find the advertisements helpful, especially those with a sexy or a snobbish appeal. I love the idea he's getting at. I think if he were alive today, he would maybe use some different terms on some of those. He'd be saying, listen, I don't know how to command growth in my life, but I know how to short circuit the growth in my life. I know there are some things that I can concentrate on, do with my time, the kinds of decisions I can make, the sort of things I can demand of my own life and even try to demand of God. I know how I can live in such a way to keep God from doing what he wants to do in my life. And so we have this cooperation piece. There is a way that we cooperate with God. And and, and Paul's getting at the heart of what progress would look like. Look at verses 9 through 11. This is not a full list, but this is the list he gave the Philippians. Here's what he's praying for them. He says, my prayer that your love may abound more and more. Isn't it crazy how love always shows up first? What are the two greatest commandments? What's the active verb? Love. What did Jesus say? You'll know my disciples by the way you. What does Paul say? The first thing I was mind, listen, if God does his work in you, as he begins to complete what he's doing, here's one way you'll know. Here's a great way to test our progress. Is your love becoming more and more abundant? Like, oh, Ben, I don't want to love. I just want to memorize a lot of verses. No, he said, if you belong to me, your love will increase. It will abound. He said, you will have knowledge and all discernment. You'll have wisdom that you can't get from a textbook, even if you're a genius. Wisdom that comes from God alone. He talks about this idea that you'll be, you'll, be, you'll be filled with the purity and blamelessness of Jesus. You'll be filled with the righteousness that comes from Christ. You'll prove what is excellent, and you'll live your life for the glory and praise of God. That's what he's praying for. That's what progress would look like. But some of us, maybe a number of us, we, we all have this kind of point that we're willing to go to with Jesus, but not beyond that. Most of us in this room. Most of us like, all right, Jesus, I'll follow you until this becomes an issue or until I have to choose between a relationship and you or until I have to choose between a job and you. Jesus, I'll go this far. Well, Jesus has a message for those of us who think like that. In Luke 14, many, uh, many in a crowd, there were a, a large crowd was following Jesus and Jesus wanted to help them logically understand what their commitment would look like. And he, he wanted them to understand that if they're going to follow him, then he has to be their highest allegiance. 
If they're going to follow him, or, or as we say here at Epic, if they were going to orient their entire life around him, then it would be him above all else. And because they were his followers, that would influence everything else that they did in their entire lives. That's why our vision as a church is what it is. And here's what he says to them in Luke 14, verses 28 through 30. It's a pretty logical argument. Jesus says to this crowd, For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. He's just saying, like, hey, count the costs. There, there is no call from Jesus ever to be a halfway follower. Now, none of us have arrived yet, so we're all in process. Every single one of us. We're all along the different continuum from the, you know, even before salvation, salvation, all the way to this completion thing. None of us are here. None of us are here. But we're all at different places along the way. And Jesus said, hey, I, I, don't, want to, I don't want you to be fooled. Like, what it means to follow me, it doesn't mean that you're going to be sinless or always perfect or always blameless or always pure, but it, but it means that increasingly, more and more and more of your life is centering around more and more of who I am. That's the goal. That's the aim. There is no Christianity with another agenda. There, it doesn't exist. And while some of us are like, hey, I don't know where I'm at with all that yet, if, if, if that's okay. What's not okay is for any of us to go, hey, here's where my fence is. I'll get to that point, but I won't go beyond it. If that's you, I would be real honest with yourself and real honest with Jesus and just ask him to help you work on that. Or maybe ask him to work on it, period. Just like, hey, Jesus, you know, like, because what he's doing in this text is saying, it's me above your spouse. It's me above your mom and dad. It's me above your siblings. He would say to us, it's me above your job. It's me above your ambition. It's me above your accomplishment. It's me. Like, then that sounds really self-serving. Listen, if he's Lord of the universe, it only makes sense. If he is everything, then why would we not pretend and live in such a way that he actually is? Why would we not? And for some of you, maybe today is destined to be the starting point for you. You're not as interested in this finishing thing quite yet. You just, you just want to know, um, hey, how do I start this thing? And, and some of you might be a little bit reluctant because, because you don't know that you can pull this thing off by yourself. I've, I've got really good news for you. You can't. Okay, that's not great news, but it leads to great news. You can't pull it off by yourself. The good news is you don't have to pull it off by yourself. God's got this. The idea for many of us where we need to have a shift is many of us think when it comes to our faith and our lives that somehow we're desperately holding on to God. We just don't know if our finger will stay connected to him. The picture you need to replace that picture with is God is holding on to you and he's not desperate and he's not unsure if he can keep the grip. He's got you. But will you submit and cooperate with what he wants to do? Some of us need to make that kind of first-time faith decision. Say, Jesus, I want the life you have for me. This gospel has individual ramifications, and I want in. Others of us just need to be honest and say, okay, Jesus, here's where I'm at, and here's where I want to be. Would you do some work in me? He's committed to that. He's committed to that. Paul's confident that God would complete his work because God always finishes what he starts in us. Always. Always. So in the days where you and I aren't at our best, rest in the reality that it's not riding on us. But let's live and have a posture in such a way where we're like, all right, God, I really want what you want for my life. Would you give me the power to live that way? 
as we look at this text today and think about how Paul is writing the Philippians and he's saying to them, like, hey, I'm so fond of the times that we share together. I'm so grateful for what God did in our midst. And, and, and I believe that God's going to continue it. And when he uses the word partnership, it's even beyond what we mentioned earlier. Um, the Philippians were one of the main supporters for Paul as he went and did other ministry. And so there's this amazing relationship where he's just like, God, you did so much among us. I'm so thankful for what you did with these people, how we're still connected. And I'm also grateful, even while I'm not with them physically, God, I'm grateful for what you're going to do in the future. And, and with this text in mind, I think it's only fitting to, uh, um, th- that this is the day where, where Tim and Kristen Milner have to say goodbye to us and, and we have to say goodbye to them. So I'd love for you guys to complete this message with me. Uh, I'm not going to give you the microphone, so don't, don't worry about that. For those of you that don't know, Tim and Kristen Milner, this is their last day in San Francisco. In fact, um, we'll have a reception for them tonight from 5 to 7 p.m. would love for you to come. And when that reception is over, they will literally ride off into the sunset. Uh, Seven, it'll be, yeah, you'll, you'll be good. Um, horses, right? That's right. <laughs> Tim and Kristen, they begin their move tonight. And um, for those of you that aren't aware who they are, most of us know their fingerprints are all over so much that we enjoy here at Epic Church. Um, Tim and Kristen were part of the team before the church started. Uh, they were a part of our team before, um, b- before any of us ever moved out here. Um, had the privilege to be Tim and Kristen's college pastor a long time ago. Had the privilege to baptize Kristen, which is a super special moment. Uh, had the privilege to perform their wedding ceremony. Uh, and, then, and then had the privilege when it was time to make phone calls for who would be on that original team. Tim, Tim came to mind quickly. Hey, man, I don't even know where we're going to start this church, but would you be willing to, to pray about being part of the team? I think you'd be huge uh, in terms of what we're trying to accomplish. And so we began to pray, and San Francisco began to come up uh, among a few other cities, and, uh, and, and, and so, so we moved forward in that. And Tim and Kristen, so much of what you enjoy about this church, is, it has their fingerprints all over it, all over it. The reason we're sitting in this building is because Tim was the epic church representative to seeing this thing built out. A lot of what you enjoy about the space um, I, I don't want to give you too much credit, but um, <laughs> uh, these cool square lights, the way the coffee thing goes, someone gave some of the idea from, from our church, and then we were able to move forward with that, the way things are set up, uh, our mobile uh, office situation that the staff enjoys, that was a Tim idea, and on and on and on and on. Tim and I have spent the last six plus years, I mean, I don't know, 10,000, 40,000 conversations about what we thought God might want to do in the midst. And uh, I've relied on Tim in, in big, big, big ways, more, more than anyone at times in our organization and church. And, and when he came to tell me on February 23rd, I thought, man, you've got to be kidding, right? I knew April Fool's was a little far away, but I thought, um, like, you're not telling me the truth. And then came back the next day, I'm like, man, are you sure before we go public with this thing? And he's like, yeah, I'm sure. I'm like, oh. And so I let God have it. I was like, God, you made Tim to be perfect for me. Like, nobody else needs him like I need him. And that's pretty close to the truth. <laughs> uh, I remember I was driving up in Diamond Heights, and I was like, I've been blaming Tim in my heart. And I was like, no, God, this is your fault. Um, this is all your fault. You made Tim to be my buddy. And uh, there's so much truth to that. Um, Tim has been a great friend. Tim has utmost integrity, the way he and Kristen have led. It's been amazing. Just as Paul looked at the Philippians, he's like, man, imagine what all we've seen here. And, you know, whatever happens, like the start will always be this core team. And you guys are such a part, such a part. Um, we, we saw a church birthed here at the W Hotel. 
we thought we could move into Howard because we only needed 40,000 bucks, and we did for three years. And then this thing came online, and I remember signing that lease and saying, hey, let's go for it. Let's, let's see if the next decade of ministry would, would be here. And um, you guys have had two daughters birthed in San Francisco, which is crazy. You bought your first house here. Um, yeah, we could go on and on and on. Um, but, but as Paul said, the Philippians, man, I, I, I thank God for what he's done so much. For, for you guys to know, we're going to do the reception tonight. We, we have given Tim and Kristen just a big thank you financial gift. Um, I'm not going to get a paycheck for the next six months, but we have... <laughs> we've blessed them in that way. That, that's our thank you to them. But we also get the sense from Paul um, that this partnership thing moves forward. And for the Philippians, they were no longer direct recipients of Paul's ministry. They weren't. But guess who were the first people to stand up and say, Paul, you keep doing this around the world. We got your back. We are with you. And that's what we want to say to you guys. And so for the first three years of their church's existence, we are going to help support them in getting that thing off the ground. Unless Tim does something crazy, we always can take it back. <laughs> and if you need more money after three years, there's a lot of other great churches out there. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think this Philippians is, is so fitting as, as we send you guys out. You know, verses three through six, I, I think they fit with everything we've seen, with all the conversations, with all of the fun times we've had, all of the... Man, you've, you've baptized scores and scores and scores of people here. Uh, you've had to make hard calls as a young guy. <laughs> you're 25 when this church started, is that right? 25 when the church started. Now you're 30 and you've got to go do something more important. But I want to say, as Paul said to the Philippians over you guys, and this is behalf of all of us, we thank God in all of our remembrance of you. And, and moving forward with every prayer of ours for you guys making our prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the very first day, 13 people in a living room, will this work? <clears throat> How much money do we have? How many months can we go? What do we have to give up? Until now, beautiful space, sustainability, a family of four. And we're confident of this. We're sure of this, that the God who began a good work in you guys, in us, he's going to bring it about to completion. And we believe that. And so it'll be a long way from here, a long distance between us, but we are grateful for what God has done and we're grateful for what's ahead. And we believe the best days are ahead. We really do. So I want to pray for these guys. Would you stand with me? We're going to worship after this through singing. But these moments are crucial because what we've been talking about all day is like, hey, God's begun something here in us that's special as individuals. He's begun something in us as a community, and now he has also called us. Remember, it's got missional implications. And so we want to send you guys out, and we want to believe that God's going to do a great work. And we know that th this is hard. Like, I'm not envious of some things you guys are doing at all. All right? At all. But we know that this is hard work that God's called you to, but we want to just tell you with Paul's language, be confident. He doesn't put things into our life. He doesn't start us and, and then leave us and go, all right, you're on your own now. Do it in your power and your strength. And when things are going really great, I pray that there will continue to be that sense of humility. Like, God, thank you, but we can't do what's next unless you do it. So I pray that that, that great combination of humility and confidence will reside over your life, over your staff team and your family and your church and, and everything that's ahead. So let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for these two. 
Jesus, I thank you that uh, without a doubt that Tim was the right person and Tim and Kristen were the right couple to be a part of this thing from the very beginning. God, we've seen so much. And God, we know you're not done here with the Epic Church community. And God, we know you're not done with the Milners and, and, and Sophia, God, and for Selah, God. We pray that you would do a great work in their little lives, God. I pray that there would, you would protect them, God, from anything that comes against their family, their faith, their church. God, I pray that you give them great favor with where they're headed. God, you give them a beautiful facility for a great price. You'd give them a, already given them a great staff team. God, I pray you complete that. God, I pray that they would see you do even more as they move forward. And God, because it's your work, ultimately, that gives us confidence for Epic Church, and it gives us confidence for Tim and Kristen and for Essential Church, and we just look to you. Jesus, come and do the kinds of things that we can't do on our own. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Let's worship as a response to saying thanks to God this morning.